Hello, everyone. My name is Alex King, and welcome to our first official HR Partners podcast. In this session, I was joined by my colleague, Andrew Patch, with our guest, Georgia Fraser, HR business partner at the REA Group. Georgia was able to take us through her journey from an external recruitment role all the way to an internal senior generalist function, as well as the change initiatives taking place. Thank you so much again for listening, and I really hope you enjoy the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for coming in. Um, So this is really just a bit of a open discussion about your background and where you've sort of transitioned from um, and where you currently are now and just some of the major tasks and projects and change initiatives that you've had to face at the REA group just to provide a little bit of guidance to similar people from your background or and just general um, change practitioners within the industry as well. Okay. So awesome. Um, yeah, maybe if you want to um, talk a little bit about your journey and you know, obviously you started off as a, as a recruiter and how you transitioned across into, into HR. Sure. So I did start in recruitment. I um, mm-hmm. fell into recruitment, as I think most of us do. Yes. <laughs> um, I found myself working um, with Manpower on their RPO uh, for Defence Force. So yep. um, I spent a couple of years there um, and was lucky enough to manage a team um, at that time um, in a sort of high volume environment, which yep. I think has ended up serving me well um, in the HR yep. space. Um, I moved out of that RPO into the Manpower core business, wanted to get some experience um, recruiting roles outside of the specialist defence environment um, and spent a couple of years um, there and ended up moving from that sort of volume space into a 360 role um, with uh, focusing on finance roles. Um, I can't remember exactly when I decided that I wanted to explore an HR opportunity, um, but I did want to move out of agency and into mm. an internal recruitment role. Yep. Um, I felt like that would offer a, a good transition mm-hmm. um, into the sort of broader HR space. Um, I found that really challenging. Um, a lot of organisations wanted someone um, who had the internal experience yep. already. Yeah, it's pretty common in the market at the moment. Right. Yeah, we get a lot of applicants. Yep. but they want internal experience, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. which I can understand, um, but also um, I think it's um, sitting on the other side. I think, you know, you can you can certainly, um, in my opinion, learn learn those skills. So I do find it interesting, yep. you yep. know, when, um, when clients uh, sort of want that experience, but I can understand that, I guess, the fear of, um, of the unknown. <laughs> um, so I ended up finding a role that wasn't internal, but was for a dedicated um, sort of on-site um, client through another agency. Um, I knew pretty early on that that wasn't going to be the right fit for me long term, but I managed to um, meet a colleague there who knew someone and she said, I know someone looking for a generalist, um, you know, why don't you catch up with him and, and meet with him? Yeah. Um, and that was, um, I guess, you know, my lucky uh, strike and yeah. <laughs> he was looking for someone and it was uh, a role that had a heavy recruitment focus, so yeah. um, my background suited that. Um, but he was very much a believer in, you know, you can, you can learn almost anything, so if you find the right person. Um, yep. So he took me on board in a generalist role. Um, so that's where I started at a company called NLC, so okay. car financing. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. I was just going to ask, sorry, um, just for people who are out in the market who might be doing the same thing, mm. what was the biggest thing to overcome other than the expectations of, you know, preferring that internal experience Mm. but from an agency external into the internal environment what did you have to really shift Mm. um i think that the thing people often concerned about is uh 
when you're working in an agency, you're servicing so many different clients mm, um, yeah. and you may not have a great understanding of, I guess, the role brief that you're taking or mm. the organisation that you're placing people in. Um, and so they were really keen, you know, to find someone that understood how to work with the internal business. I remember some of the feedback I got along the way was that um, you, you know, you can't hide um, from your hiring managers. So <laughs> yeah. when you're in an agency... When you make a bad hire, you make a bad <laughs> exactly. hire. Exactly. When you make a bad hire, they're right there with you. Um, yeah. And that stuck with me. I could understand that because yeah. it's true, you know, when you're in an agency, if something goes wrong, essentially you are a little um, fair way removed. But when you work in an office, especially a small one, and um, you've placed everyone there, and then it comes back to you as an HR issue down the track, potentially, yeah. um, you know, you've got to deal with that. So um, that was a good mindset adjustment for me um, and something that I had just had to think about in terms of how, you know, you might combat that yeah. um, in an internal role. Right. And then I guess what attracted you to, to then move across and work with the REA group? Um, so I spent four years with NLC and I grew my, my, my role there and it was fantastic. Um, yeah. I knew that in order to uh, to move ahead I needed to get into a larger company. So okay. yep. that was a privately owned 150 people. Yep. Um, amazing organisation but reasonably small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to get out and, and do something different. So um, I actually, um, I found a mentor um, through the ARI program yep. Um, yep. who really helped me to understand what the world looked like in a larger organisation yep. mm. because um, I really didn't know. I hadn't worked in a shared services model or a centre of excellence model and I wasn't really familiar with how um, the different functions operated okay. um, and yep. what a generalist role looked like in that space. Um, so he helped me to sort of understand those things and really um, sort of let me understand where my gaps were and what okay. I would need to overcome. Yeah. in order to move across. Okay. Um, starting off in that particular landscape, um, were there any times where you thought you're in over your head or is it a completely different field? I'm feeling feeling a little bit out of my reach right now. At REA? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, day one, I remember um, I went in, in an HR advisor role and, um, mm. you know, I've dealt with all sorts of issues in the past in my previous role, but um, working for a company that size with that sort of brand, um, mm. there's just an added level of, um, I guess, stress around getting things right. Yep. Um, and the pace that that company operates at is yep. just exceptional. Um, yep. And so people want things done and they want them done really fast. Um, so I remember I had a, a case land on my desk the first night um, that I started <laughs> yeah. as away. Yeah. Um, and I guess it was a great learning curve um, yep. in terms of um, you know a good reminder that even if you haven't operated in that environment before the skills you've learned in the past are still transferable you just yep. have to adjust the way that you approach yep. things to be appropriate to that um, that environment um, but I think that was a good confidence builder um, to know that you know the knowledge is all there somewhere you just have yep. to find it so dig deep yeah um, and then after a certain amount of time, obviously you transitioned into and grew into the HR business partner role, um, which is a pretty core cool focus about this as well because you did some of the change initiatives uh, as well as the um, M&As. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about the, the tasks that you had uh, in front of you in, in terms of that change piece, mm-hmm. um, but also what was the... What was the point that it reached where you really, everyone thought, all right, we have to actually do something about this now? Mm-hmm. Like what was the, are there engagement scores, things yeah. were going wrong, turnover? What yeah. was that, the mark? 
Sure. Um, so I had a couple of different client groups and um, there's probably a different focus on, on, on either of those. So speaking about the change initiatives um, with the acquisitions, um, so I uh, specialised with the financial services line of business, which was a new team for REA. So yep. um, obviously we predominantly operate the realestate.com.au website. Um, that's what we're most known for. Um, just over a year ago, we launched our financial services business. Um, so we acquired um, a, a mortgage broking business called Smartline, yep. um, about 40 employees, um, mm-hmm. about 320 mortgage brokers, yep. um, and at the same time partnered with the National Australia Bank um, and basically created um, a, a working model with them where they operated under our brand um, with their employees. So at the same time, we had multiple um, people change projects that we needed to, uh, to overcome. Yeah. Um, so the focus there was on different levels of integration with each of those businesses. Um, so when I think about the NAB, um, they had a call centre of around 60 people who were going to be operating under our name um, right. with their employees. So okay. we had to find that sweet spot between, you know, we're not taking over their employment responsibilities, um, but they need to look and feel and sound like REA when they're answering the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the first things we did was put together a custom induction program for them. So even though they weren't our people, um, yeah. we brought them across to our offices and put them through a full day of getting to know how we work and what our values are and how how those values align with their values um, and really help them understand how we work. Um, So once that sort of come across and seen who we were and how we did business, um, they had a much greater level of comfort and understanding about the way we operate and therefore how we wanted wanted them to operate. Okay. Mm. Uh, Was there any resistance during this particular piece? Um, For that particular piece, I think uh, probably not at the employee level. I think they were all pretty excited and um, uh, this particular team to move into um, was sort of seen as a, um, a bit of a win um, yep. to come across. I think that definitely at the, at the leadership level there's always challenges um, yep. with two two big businesses, with two big brands trying to um, come together and, um, and operate. Um, but ultimately, um, really just teething issues and yep. um, mm. things that were quite uh, always prevalent but yep. could be yep. overcome. <laughs> um. Anything that you'd do differently if you were given a, a, a similar opportunity, <laughs> I guess? I think um, probably the other integration piece was a lot bigger with right. Smartline. Um, yep. We purchased 80% of that business um, and they are a long-standing, very successful, um, very values-driven organisation, very proud um, yep. of what they do and, and they're great at it. Um, so that was... Uh, probably a different sort of change piece where we did need to integrate them um, Mm. more fully into our business. Um, And I think the thing that I learnt uh, through that process was um, how critical it is to take the time to understand what they have to offer. Um, Mm. I think as the larger organisation, it's always easy to sort of think that, you know, you have all the answers um, and that everything that you've got to offer is is the best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But there's definitely, um, there are always things that every organisation does well. that you can learn from Um, and so I think keeping that in mind and you know there's always the checklist of things that you need to get done Um, but I think you know my learning was it's okay um, to move a bit slower and take Mm. the time to really understand um, because if you um, if you understand that's when you know change is managed more successfully. When you were um, merging two cultures or so two value-based platforms do you ever as you're going through the process did you ever sort of think oh that value proposition is almost greater than ours or maybe we should take on board something that they're doing. Yeah. Does that ever come to mind? Definitely. So when when I did a values alignment um, with that business, um, I really 
I went through the values line by line yep. and you were able to highlight the words that were identical. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, REA makes acquisitions based on a good values fit. So yep. if the organisation doesn't gel well um, from a cultural level and from a people perspective, then it's not a good um, investment. Yep. Um, so I was lucky that, you know, there was a really strong alignment there. Um, but when you line up the values against one another, they, they fit mm. really nicely. Um, yep. And even just being able to share that with people to see that, hey, actually, we're, you know, we, we might look different on the outside, but really, um, we're quite well aligned. Um, and they've definitely got some additional values that we don't have due to the nature of their business. So, you know, if and when it comes to the time that, you know, we need to become even closer, um, yep. I'm sure that there are things that, you know, we can bring into our values and change the way that, um, that we word them um, to sort of encompass what they have to offer as well. Fantastic. Okay. Well done. <laughs> um, what was, in going through um, uh, M&As or, or change or cultural alignment, mm -hmm. what's what do you think is your number one primary focus that you need to really be attentive to in terms of the landscape? Uh, I think speaking with lots of people, um, as many as people as possible at yep. all different levels. Yep. Um, I think that um, what your executive leadership team feels about something versus what your senior leaders feel versus what your people on the ground feel can differ quite mm. greatly. And I think all those opinions and feelings are valid um, in one way or another. Ultimately, you know, the business takes direction from the top, but um, those insights I think are critical um, yeah. in um, sort of understanding what people, what people want mm. um, and what's important to them. Um, and I think that asking questions and finding out what is important because again it's really easy to assume that you, you know um, and you, you know take a look at service level and you think well you know these are the things that, that we need to do or that need to happen um, but you have to um, I think it's really important to honor you know mm. um, the business that they've built um, yeah. the successes that they've had they haven't they've done you know <laughs> for many years without yeah. your help and yeah. um, you coming along doesn't mean that that's necessarily yeah. going to make them better overnight so um, I think being really respectful um, yeah. of that so how do you I guess balance that against you know the commercial side of timelines and getting it done by a a certain date. <laughs> yep. Um, I think it's knowing what is um, what's essential. So knowing the things, the must-haves, um, and knowing the things that you just are going to have to do, um, and then knowing what other things that you have flexibility around. So um, and having that discussion up front. So having that discussion with the the right people in that organisation to find out what are the things that are most important to you through this transition that you really feel passionately mm -hmm. about and what are the things that you're prepared to give on. Um, because I think sometimes um, when you drill down into it, there's often one or two things that they feel really strongly about um, yep. and they're often things that you can leave as they are or overcome or save to a later date, which then frees you up to focus on, on the things that you can change um, in the short term. So I think getting to the heart of what those things are that are important to them um, is really critical because then you know what your space is to operate in around that. Yeah, perfect. Um, at the end of that, what was your biggest personal achievement through the process? Not just the whole piece, but just the fact like there was something in particular that really sunk home. Yeah, um, I think, so we have a we have an annual kickoff at REA, um, which is all employees invited, um, mm -hmm. yeah. and we invited all of those um, those staff to attend um, for the first time uh, okay. just a few months yep. ago, um, and they just uh, they all came, um, which was amazing. So we got 100% um, participation, which shows you know it was strong engagement from that part, um, and just 
the number of people uh, that sort of came up to us and, and the leadership mm -hmm. team at REA that night and just said, you know, we're so happy um, to be part of REA. Um, yeah. You know, the, the change has been managed yeah. at, at the yeah. right pace and, you know, we understand that things will change better over time, but we're happy to be here. We feel part of the family. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like yeah. a tangible outcome. That's right. Pe yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, good if, if people aren't happy, then mm. um, you don't have much of a business. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, true. This is true. Um, talking numbers mm. now, Georgia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've managed to reduce turnover by 18% and increase engagement to 84%. Uh, impressive. Talk us how you did this. Sure. Um, so this is in one of my other client groups, um, yep. so the operations part of the business. Um, so a lot of your sort of back-end functions, um, the tech team that sort of build the platforms that the, the company operate from, um, sort of credit and contract and, and call centre sort of teams. Um, so when I joined that team around two years ago, um, the GM there was reasonably new, um, had come from quite a different background um, and was used to operating in quite a different way. Mm. And often when you have that sort of change in leadership, um, yep. it can create um, a bit of um, you know, uh, ill sentiment um, in the team. Yep. Um, and so it was pretty clear that people weren't happy um, through the engagement survey results and, um, and through the turnover. And I think that at REA, we've got really got really high standards yep. you know our cross-company engagement results are usually mm. in the mid 80s um, so when someone slips and, and falls behind that significantly it stands out um, so this team sort of you know was a bit of a, a bit of a hot spot mm. um, so we focused on a few key areas um, one being flexible working um, yep. so the results in that particular category were a fair way behind the rest of the business um, right. and I think that a lot of that is due to the fact that they operate quite differently um, there are some roles that you are you know more um, you have more of a requirement to be physically present mm -hmm. um, if you're processing physical things or if you're you know working in the call center um, so we took quite a bit of effort to really articulate what flexible working meant within that team um, which might be different to in other other departments um, and we ran people through um, expectation setting uh, sessions around you know what can you do um, what can you partake in and um, flexible working doesn't just mean working from home there's all sorts of other things that you can that you can do to work flexibly um, and got the leaders really comfortable with managing those situations so yeah. I think flexible working at the end of the day always comes down to the manager um, and what, what, like it that's right mm. and they've got to be confident to manage it too um, so it can be really tricky to manage a team when um, they're not all in the office um, for any of the days of the week or they all yeah. start at different times or um, things like that so uh, making sure that the leaders were comfortable with that um, another key focus, if I had to uh, put it down to any one thing, it would be uplifting leadership capability. So okay. we had um, leaders at all sorts of levels, but quite a few who had been internally promoted, um, which is always a good thing, but um, making sure that they're set up for success is obviously critical as well. Mm. Um, so we sort of found that there was a bit of a gap in uh, getting those managers up to speed really quickly once they'd been moved into leadership roles um, right. and helping them to overcome some of the trickier day-to-day -day people situations. You mm. know, how do you actually manage probation effectively? Yeah. Um, you know, how do you have performance conversations? How do you manage people's performance 
based on values as opposed to you know just hitting targets um, so we created a bit of a pilot training session for that group in particular um, and um, that worked really well and we ended up rolling that out um, more broadly across the business um, so focusing on uplifting those leadership capabilities I think but 2019 without disclosing anything confidential mm -hmm. is there anything that you're sort of working on that's going to be really promising from your end anything that's really exciting yeah um, so I've just taken on um, a new role um, looking after um, the Malaysia and Singapore business for our REA Asia um, yep. company. Um, so I'll be spending three months um, working um, uh, KL, which will be really exciting. Fantastic. Um, so I really don't have um, much information at this stage of what I'm hoping to achieve, <laughs> but um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities to get stuck in there and um, and work out what's happening from a people perspective and um, engage in you know mm. different cultures cultures over there. Yeah, fantastic, lovely. Um, I guess sort of summing up uh, with what you said in mm. terms of from a company perspective. Um, the biggest thing you want to focus on going through change or M&A is that communications piece across the board. Um, from the more of just more candidate perspective, mm. who maybe someone who's going from talent acquisition wants to go into a generalist. Mm. I know you said you can't hide from mm. the manager. I get, <laughs> heard that. But what would you? What's the top tip for someone who wants to make that transition? Mm. Um, I think having. A really high level of self-awareness um, around what you're good at um, yeah. and what you've done and how that transfers or how that translates into a different role so uh, there are some things that you won't have done before um, yeah. but knowing what they are and being able to articulate how you might overcome that um, is a really good way to at least demonstrate to a hiring manager that you've thought about what's involved in, in the role um, yeah. and that you have thought about how you'd overcome it um, and I think the best way to do that is um, you know find a mentor um, find yeah. someone yeah. who might work in an organisation already um, reach out to someone on LinkedIn uh, who's in a role that you're aspiring to be in and, and ask if you can catch up for a coffee and, and ask them what they actually do day to day yeah. um, because sometimes the job ad or the PD won't really mm, get into the detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No one's updated the PD. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that getting real uh, first-hand feedback on um, what it's like um, will give you a good basis for um, what you need to work on um, to move into that sort of role. Okay, fantastic. All right. Did you? Um, well, Georgia, thank you so thank you. much for coming. That was fantastic. So, thank you again for answering all of our questions. Do you have actually any questions for us? We can go. This is a two-way street here. Oh, <laughs> Bring it back. Prepared for that. There we go. One eighty. Um, I guess I'm just keen to understand. You know how you see the market at the moment um, for HR professionals, and you know, are there any particular areas where there's candidate surplus or shortage? Uh, the current HR market at the moment is um, really strong. Um, we're finding that the volume of roles is significantly strong at the moment and is probably on par with where we're sitting uh, back in about 2014. Yeah. Um, so we went for a little bit of a dip, but things have really picked up at the moment. Um, and it seems to be across all levels of roles um, and quite diverse in relation to industry. Um, there's a lot of opportunities starting to emerge at the senior contracting end. Um, historically, we've probably sat 50-50 um, between a, a split between contract and perm roles. Um, but we're starting to move a little bit more in line with what's happening across the European market, uh, where the senior contracting space is becoming a lot more prevalent in relation to roles. Um, and uh, there's a lot more confidence, I guess, from senior people to, to move into the contracting space. 
Um, so, I, you know, I expect over sort of the next two to three years um, there'll be a real big shift in, in the Australian market with, you know, 60 to 70% of the senior roles being, you know, medium to longer-term contracts rather than full-term positions. The other, I guess, major shift we've seen more recently, probably over the last 18 months, has been a, a move or an increase in the internal recruitment space. Um, we're finding at the moment there's, there's a shortage of qualified internal recruiters um, as businesses, I guess, move the model back into an internal recruitment model. Um, and what that's doing is creating, A, an uplift in salaries for you know internal recruitment advisors, but also is giving the opportunity for agency recruiters to step across into the internal space for their first role, um, which probably clients haven't been as open to over the you know, 18 months ago from what we're seeing now. And have you seen any change in the sort of HR professional that organisations are looking for? Um, yeah, the thing that I guess is making candidates stand out at the moment is, is really being able to demonstrate their commercial capability. Um, it seems to be, especially, you know, the more senior you get in relation to um, your career, the people that are interviewing don't tend to always be HR people. You know, they're MDs, they're CEOs. Um, so it's really being able to add the, the commercial benefit of, of what you've done within your roles when you're bringing that out, I guess, in some of your examples. Um, and that's what's making, you know, the senior HR professionals stand out. If you can, you know, demonstrate how you saved the company money, made the money, um, that's, that's going to make you look good in the interview process. Thanks. Lovely. All right. Thank, Thank you so much for coming in to see us today. I really do appreciate your time to see Andrew and myself take us through your, your transition and your change initiatives um, and some of your wins and successes. So that was really great. And I'm sure a lot of people will be able to sort of take it home um, and a lot will relate to this. So if you ever want to get in touch with us, it'll be great to catch up with you again.